what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 88 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo and Glisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, after two straight weeks of just the most hideous dog shit known to man, here is a wrestling two weeks ago. Last week, uh, Bash at the Beach 95, which was also just dreadful. The pendulum was due to swing the opposite direction and just gave gave us a show that I remember so fondly and was as good or better on the second watch. Uh, a tremendous wrestling program. Uh, NXT TakeOver Philly from 2018 featuring Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Cien Almas in the main events for the NXT title. One of the best matches I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, it's it's great all the way around. It's like five matches, two and a half hours. It breezes by. It, there's nothing like even remotely bad on it at all. It's just it's fantastic, man. It has been it, it has been a joy to watch this week. The only bad thing about it is that there is someone who is absolutely a hundred and ten percent canceled on it. Yeah. But the thing wow. is, if we're looking at it just through the wrestling scope, it is still top to bottom absolutely incredible. Just on the rest. The wrestling side. Oh my God. After the past two weeks, David Twig, 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 Twig. The wrestling is good. Fantastic. I, again, we live in a great era for wrestling. And this is like kind of the start of a good renaissance for the wrestling period, which is this NXT era where takeovers were must see television every time that they were on your TV screen. Just always fantastic. Oh, a card that was not super long, but had like five to six matches. That all went about 10 to 15 or more minutes that were all just banger after banger after banger. There was never a time for you to get up and go to take a piss break. It was all, we're just going to melt your fucking face off for two and a half hours and you're going to sit there and like it. And oh yeah. boy, just a beautifully crafted card. Like you said, Andrade Gargano, just majestic. And we do have to shout out Jake Long, even though you know he can't really record the podcast. And he never really answered us last week regarding whether his availability was this week. It does have his favorite entrance of all time, which is Andrade coming out with the mariachi band, which if you haven't seen it, go go on YouTube. They have the full entrance on YouTube. It's just great, man. This was such good wrestling. And I got to go to uh, Dynamite this week or AEW where they had dark matches that were fantastic. They had uh, Takashita from Japan, who's just a star in the making. They had a, a surprise Minoru Suzuki moment where I nearly lost my shit and jumped over the uh, stanchion. Uh, just all sorts of great wrestling that was on that show. And, you know, the wrestling is good, David. And I'm so happy to talk about good wrestling as opposed to jack shit like we yes. got last week. Ladies and gentlemen, the wrestling is, in fact, good. And, yeah, I mean, this is 2018. This is like the peak era of NXT. I mean, the last um, NXT takeover we did was Phoenix, which I believe was in January of 2019. So it was a year after this. I believe it was also the pre-Royal Rumble takeover for that year. And that was at a very interesting time because it was right after the announcement of AEW. And AEW, of course, ended up sort of succeed, like taking NXT's spot in the wrestling landscape, at least in terms of like, you know, as a wrestling fan, like the, like, this is what you need to watch 
if you're, you know, an American wrestling fan, this year, 2018, especially early 2018, uh, was the peak. This was like as good as it ever got. This is like the, the, the summit of the huge NXT renaissance that started in like 2014, 15 and gradually built and got better and bigger and better. And then 2018, especially the first half of 2018 between, you know, matches like what we have here in the main events uh, between Andrade and Johnny Gargano, then directly leading into the Gargano Champa feud, oh which gosh. carried the brand in 2018 and led to I mean, one of the fucking hottest angles, you know, probably the hottest angle NXT has ever done. Uh, it just, it was like, you know, we were, we were privileged to get to see that. I mean, I love AEW. I have been a diehard fan of that promotion since it began. I've never missed a show, but I, I, I was watching this really wondering, has AEW really ever reached the pure heights of what NXT was in 2018? Maybe, but I, maybe I'm looking at it through the more rose colored glasses, but like, I it don't was think you're really wrong. a fucking time for wrestling. It I, was amazing. I don't think you're wrong. I think what they do for the pay-per-views is like a takeover on steroids. Like again, it's a, it's a card that doesn't have a breather. You're going to sit there for four hours and get pelted in the face by amazing performances. But you are right because like part of wrestling is not just the matches. It's not just the characters. It's storytelling too. And while AEW does a great job at storytelling and making things that make sense, they really haven't had that one definitive feud yet that really is like, man, do you remember that feud in AEW between X and Y? Like it, it hasn't really happened yet. You, there's a lot of good things. But I don't know. Like I mean, nuclear. there there have been some really good ones. I mean, you know, I think that. The one that I would point to is the is the Hangman Saga, right? Oh, the Hangman Saga has been beautiful story over two three years. I mean, that is is it was is about as good as it gets. Uh, but I think that the one thing that AEW does suffer from is, uh, in comparison to NXT of this era, is NXT seemed a little more tightly focused mm-hmm. than AEW. They have such a big roster of insane talent and so many guys and like, you know, not that much time that it does feel like it's veering from thing to thing when you're watching it. And that's, you know, it's, you're veering from like great match to great guy, to great guy, to great guy. And that's awesome. But it did feel like NXT was a little more tightly focused. You know what I mean? Like, like things were able to, to be plotted out a little bit more because like the shows weren't as jam packed all the time. Mm-hmm. There was able to be like a little more you know, tight focus on like a, a Gargano Champa feud, which is like why that became built so strongly and like one of the best feuds we've ever seen, basically. Like MJ, but, MJF Punk probably is the few, like I know it's recency bias, but that feud, they hit a lot of notes. They made it real personal. They had a lot of bloody matches. That's probably the highest like blood feud that they have, but like Gargano Champa was something just visceral and something that's hard to replicate. Yeah. And like, but thinking about that peak of NXT to compare anything to that is doing a disservice to what you're comparing to. Uh, yeah. Because it, between those two guys, it was just fantastic. And it's also like, this is also an era where we always get pissed off because how they, these talents just never, never, 
clicked on the main roster because no one was no one in WWE seemed like they were watching NXT. No, and, and if they did, they didn't care. I mean, like you look at all of these guys, every out of the people on the on the card, basically everybody either never got brought up to the main roster or they were up on the main roster for a little while and kind of floundered and didn't do that much. And then either got released or you know, either got released or had their contract expire and then went to AEW and <laughs> killed it. Or uh, I guess Shayna Baszler is still only one on SmackDown. Apparently <laughs> is she on TV anymore? Yeah. She's tag team with uh, Natalia. They, that's They changed her entrance. They changed her theme into something way shittier. I do remember that. Pisses me off because like <laughs> she is an absolute badass and she's just booked like this mid-tier jobber. But it's like you look down at this card, right? Everybody on the show basically almost looks like a star, you know? Like it's five, like five good matches, five matches that are different, like all different, but all good in their own way, right? And you go down the list of these people. I mean, the idea that NXT is supposed to like, you know, be the vehicle for people to kind of get over before. And then they move on to the main roster and they're already over on the main roster and they already have their character established. That was like the idea of NXT, (laughs) how fucking horribly they have failed at that going down the list of people, right? Um, Undisputed era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly in AEW authors of pain were on the main roster for like five minutes, got released. Neither of them are wrestling. Uh, they're, They're not anywhere. Velveteen dream. Uh, canceled, canceled. Uh, Cassius Ono. I met him like last month. Very, very nice man in real life. Uh, but not currently working in uh, WWE anymore. Uh, Ember Moon released is working on the indies. Shayna Baszler, the only person who is currently on the main roster and is not really doing anything. Do you remember when they debuted her? She eliminated five people in an elimination chamber match and then they did nothing with her for two years. I mean, it was like, okay, you've got this fucking bad bitch who's going to kill everybody. And then they did nothing with her. Um, Aleister Black in AEW, Adam Cole in AEW, Andrade in AEW, and then Johnny Gargano to be determined, not working working in WWE anymore. (laughs) That is how many wrestlers did I just name? 12 wrestlers. One of them is on the main roster. I mean, that's some Jets draft class shit right there. How the fuck does that happen? How the fuck does that happen? That's some Jets I mean, I, drafting right there, buddy. That is some Except real... these guys have talent. Yeah. It's not like... Yeah. I mean, like, that would be like the Jets drafting, like, you know, 12 fucking pro bowlers, but then benching them all for no reason and to play, like, Mike White at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect comparison. Like, get the fuck out of here. But don't but you yeah, slander Mike a, White. I will kill you. It is so insane in retrospect that they were able to build this, like... Build this top, like this, this basically almost entirely separate, entirely separate brand that gave us like some of our fondest wrestling memories that we have ever had, and some of the best matches and best shows that I have ever seen, and then like so completely botched it up on the main roster that like looking back, it's like just an entire fucking series of missed opportunities for everybody. It's insane. It truly is. It's truly insane. But we can always, we still always have NXT 2016 through 18, 2014, 15. I mean, that, that whole like five, 
year period, basically, uh, was insane. And this is where we really hit like the peak of it. This leading into the, in my opinion, the high watermark of NXT, the great, maybe the greatest wrestling show I've ever seen in my life, which was NXT TakeOver New Orleans, which was the next TakeOver, which had the uh, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa unsanctioned match. And the five-star Lars match. Five-star Lars, baby. I'd argue, uh, I'd argue that Ciampa and Gargano is probably the highest point wrestling has been at. Uh, I would say the previous angle would probably be Punk leaving WWE with the title when he was on that that hot streak. So like decent five year gap and like a four year gap now where we're kind of we're do the next big thing in terms of like wrestling insanity and you know maybe it's New Japan and AEW's Forbidden Door event who knows but yeah. like is I a mean, high would... water is like going to go in the annals of wrestling as one of the greatest feuds storylines matches match series ever like any est that you want to add to it it is yeah i would uh i mean i would say that this whole like run of AEW we have been on even though we're we're, we're kind of like you know we're we're putting over this era of nxt at the expense of AEW, but like AEW is fantastic in 10 years we're gonna look back at like these years of AEW as like holy shit that was insane mm-hmm. you know uh but we are just living in a good freaking time to be a wrestling fan. And this was in 2018. I mean, you remember this was it. If you were a wrestling fan, a takeover night was like, this is you drop everything like, sorry, can't go out tonight. It's takeover night. Oh yeah. Like this is, this is the thing. So it, it really didn't get, any better than this at least in america i mean new japan was also extremely fucking hot at the time uh but this was like in in the united states this was it it just simply did not get better than a takeover night uh one of the last periods of time that i didn't view someone signing with wwe with like dread he was (laughs) like is good david yeah it's like, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll go to NXT and you know what? We're going to see like the best version of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck. What a, what a hell of a time. So let's just, fuck. Want to just remember some guys? Let's remember the guys. Remember some freaking guys over here. It is January 27th, 2018. We are about 20 minutes up the road from me at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Got 9,000 estimated in the crowd. It is a hot hot philly crowd back when as we said takeover really really freaking mattered and we have in the main events andrade cien almost defending the nxt title against the hottest baby face in the world johnny freaking wrestling johnny gargano uh we're in philly uh we get a paul Heyman narrated intro and uh we have Mauro Ranallo and Percy Watson on the call. Uh, forgot about Percy entirely. <laughs> um, forgot that he had this like little run on NXT commentary in like 2018, 19-ish. Uh, always thought he was pretty good. Um, but Mauro Ranallo, man. Mauro, Mauro is great. Mauro is the best in the business, still is. Um, and we have <laughs> Mauro with a uh, very funny, like, uh, sign of sign of the times. He says the quote, 
the N- these NXT superstars are ready to soar like the Super Bowl bound Eagles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and we lead straight off with, okay, we'll talk about remembering some freaking guys. The authors of pain. Remember these guys? AOP? Holy shit. Oh man. These guys rocked. Uh, it is a tag title match. The authors of pain challenging for the belts. Uh, Akam and Rezar accompanied by legendary manager Paul Ellering of Road Warriors fame. He was such a great fucking pairing with these guys. I do not know how they fucked this up this badly on the main roster. Um, they are challenging the champions, the Undisputed Era team, Red Drag, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly. Good old sleazy Kyle playing the uh, the belt guitar. On Love the, way the belt down. guitar. That's my favorite championship celebration that he does. When he was when he was walking down the uh, aisle and he was he had the he had the belt in his hands. I was like, do it, motherfucker. <laughs> I was like <laughs> waiting for him to play the belt guitar, and he did. Huge pop from your boy when he played the belt guitar. Um, as uh, Red Dragon are posing on the uh, turnbuckles, AOP attack them before the bell. And we start fighting immediately. And it's, it's a lot of it is very MMA style. Razar was actually a professional MMA fighter before uh, getting into pro wrestling. I believe he had a six and two pro record, fought at like a moderately decent level. Um, and Kyle O'Reilly is also like, I don't think he ever fought in MMA, but is like trained MMA for years and has like kind of that style. Um, Kyle O'Reilly just like bumping around doing his absurd selling. I, I love watching him sell so much because he sells like a cartoon character. Um, AOP, these two massive fucking monsters, overwhelming them early and slamming them around. Um, they uh, you know, slam fish into the guardrail. They beat up Kyle O'Reilly for a while. They do this one spot that looked kind of nasty where uh, the, the spot where Bobby Fish does the spear to the floor and then they kind of twist around in midair. And like Razor like lands right on top of him as they splat onto the floor. Looked pretty nasty. Fish was okay. Apparently they worked the rest of the match fine. Uh, but that one made me wince when I saw it. Um, eventually, uh, Bobby Fish gets in with um, Akum. They start working over the left leg for a while. Uh, puts him in an Achilles lock, but Akum is able to make it to the bottom rope. Eventually he gets the tag to Razor, who... Just big boys, everybody hands out a bunch of boots. He does like a combination fall away backpack slam onto both guys at the same time. Um, Undisputed Era gets back in there doing all their like MMA offense, a bunch of kicks and knees and a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, Bobby Fish does get a big pop at uh, one point hitting an exploder suplex on Razar, who is just a massive guy. Uh, we get our first NXT chance of the night, maybe about halfway through this match. Uh, we will get a lot of those tonight because this is a great show. Um, Bobby Fish hits a uh, jumping knee on Razar right as Kyle O'Reilly catches Akim in the leg lock work on the leg that he had been working over. It's like our first kind of tease that the match, the, the match might be ending, but then Razar picks uh, Bobby Fish, like has Razar in a sleeper. Razar just like picks him up and like slams him onto everybody. Uh, we get a bunch of like striking battle spots. Um, Kyle O'Reilly goes for a big boot and Akam catches him and just throws him over his head and toss him, which is an awesome spot. Um, hits him with a buckle bomb and just starts kneeing him in the side of the head. Bobby Fish tries to get in and stop him. Razar just lays waste to him with like one of the biggest big boots you'll ever see in your life. And then the finish of the match comes 
uh, they get the uh, Undisputed Era up going for their finishing move, the Super Collider, but Kyle O'Reilly reverses it into a Hurricane Rana, ends up basically forcing the two AOP guys to collide, and then KOR snatches a roll-up, and he gets the pin. Kyle O'Reilly gets the pin on uh, Akum, and Red Dragon retained the belts in 14 minutes and 50 seconds. Very, very entertaining, hard-hitting match. My favorite part of this match is that it's a very unique contrast in styles that you really don't see a lot in wrestling. You have uh, Undisputed Era who are very calculated, very vicious, kind of like piranhas. They have that pack mentality. And then you have AOP who are just absolute forces of nature. And it's also a match where you don't have a traditional babyface team. I mean, it's not like AOP was really ever a babyface. They were just freaks of nature that were large and hurt people. And then you have Undisputed Era, which are just your typical Wolfpack heels, which like good wrestling, you can do heel versus heel. You don't always need to have like these clear established face heel kind of things. So long as you have an identity, you know what they're about. Even AOP, who's not like a promo team with Ellering, you kind of understand that they are just more, more or less animals. They're going to go into the ring and they're going to rip you apart. And that's their job. Uh, UE, they're going to just kind of, they're going to play the chess match. They're kind of dissecting you. They're figuring out where your weak spot is, which is why I love that really random spot where like Acom starts selling a knee injury. Like it's completely out of nowhere. It's on like this regular kind of move. He doesn't really like look like it's tweaked. Like when you watch the replay, but when he starts selling, it's like, Oh, okay. So that's kind of like going to build into it. And it ended up playing a bigger role and a bigger role until, you know, it's what ended up costing him. Cause he was also the guy that got rolled up. Super Collider messes up because his knees gives out and he kind of recoils back farther than he should have. Just a lot of those small things that go into the story, tell uh, the match storytelling, just really good. And then like you have these big power spots with Razar, the military press slam. I'm always going to pop for a military press. It's just so impressive. Nice huge spine buster, and the ending man. The ending is just so smart. It's such a great finish for a team that can't match the physicality but is a little bit smart and can kind of get away with uh, being uh, some chicanery. Just so good, man. It was so good. It's like a great tag match. Yeah. And it's, it's a tag match between two heels that is worked basically a hundred percent clean. There's no cheating at all. Really? Um, there's no, like everything that they do is basically a hundred percent legal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, you know, two guy, two teams that kind of like working a like a hard hitting sort of like realistic MMA type style. Again, uh, AOP, one of them was a pro MMA fighter, and I think the other one was like a really good like shoot amateur wrestler. And then O'Reilly and Fish have worked that kind of style for years, and but they they go about it in a very different ways, and it's really just. At the end of the day, it's the more experienced team from the Undisputed Era winning through guile and being smarter than the other team is in the ring and being able to figure out a way to win, even though they can't match. Like you said, they can't match the physicality and the strength and the power of the authors of pain. They're able to figure out a way to win because they are so smart and so experienced. And that's and that's the way this match really plays out. It is the Undisputed Era 
looking for any single way they can to press an advantage, but also doing it clean. I mean, they're not cheating here. They're just like going at, you know, working the leg and, and kind of figuring out any way they can to get an edge on these two monsters that they're tossed in there with. And it ends up being a really fucking good match with an interesting story that I think makes sense all the way through. Every single thing that happens in this match makes complete sense. And I love that. Yes. It's also really interesting, too, the dichotomy with, uh, you know, re- uh, Red Dragon. I always want to say Redragon because of the way the font is. They but, do they do capitalize shit weird. I don't yeah. know why they do that. But, like, with Red Dragon and uh, Adam Cole, because, like, Adam Cole, he's the star of the faction, but the dude always cheats, especially on this AEW run. Like, when was the last time he won a match without a low blow? It's it, Yeah. <laughs> that is the one thing I, I have complaints about. Yeah. It's kind of fun. But, like, even, even in NXT, like, Adam Cole was a guy that would always find a shortcut if he had to. And, like, Undisputed Era, or at least or Red Dragon, they never really, like, rely on cheating that much. Like, you have this typical, like, blind tag spots. You have your, your typical, we're going to cut the ring in half. We're going to draw the other guy into the ring so the ref gets distracted. You're going to have those moments, but they're not doing any, like, low blows. Uh, they're not doing anything, like, with a weapon. They're just kind of, like, playing it tactically. It's a very interesting kind of juxtaposition with Adam Cole, who's, like, a derisive cheater. And so, like, part of the way it works, like, Fish and O'Reilly are just such great hench people. Like, they're just like, we're going to do the job because it's what we're good at and what we get paid to do and we enjoy doing it. And that's kind of their whole shtick and it works for them. Yeah. Great. Two great teams here. And I, I watched this match just like, it, it blew my mind how like AOP somehow fell completely through the cracks. It amazes like, me because they are impressive. Really does amaze me. These were two guys that were a complete NXT creation. They did come... They never wrestled on the indies, I'm pretty sure. I think they were just two guys that were signed to WWE with no wrestling experience, trained from the ground up. They get put in there. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you look at the guys that they were working with, right? Like, they were, they, they were in a lot of, like, really amazing matches during their brief run in NXT. Um, and, yeah, it was against teams like, you know, DIY and the revival FTR and like, you know, American alpha and like really great teams, but they hung on that level. You know what I mean? And were really, really impressive. And you would think that like so early in their careers, they're, they are bound to have an amazing future. And they just kind of completely fell through the cracks. They got brought up to the main roster, had nothing done with them. They ditched Paul Ellerig for no reason. Ditch Paul Allen with, for no reason, which was because he was such a crucial part of their existence I and mean, like why they were cool was because they had like the ultimate like manager of like a monster tag team, mm-hmm. you know, Paul Ellery, the best to ever do that, arguably. Uh, and still like Paul Ellery at this point, he's old, still looks like a fucking killer. You know what I mean? He looks awesome. He looks like a hitman. Um, it looks like it still looks like a hitman and was still a great promo. You know, he was perfect. Paul Ellering was perfect for them. They get rid of Ellering the second they get on the main roster. Nothing. They, they basically do nothing. Injured. And then, yeah, I, was, I think, was it one of the, I think it was Akam got hurt several Akam times. did, yes. And then they just like kind of didn't do anything with them. And then they get released. And now they're out of wrestling. I mean, they have not, neither of them have wrestled since uh, they got released from WWE, which I believe was like, what, two years ago now? They were one of the first rounds of cuts. They were in the first round of cuts, I think, like pandemic cuts. And 
they're out of wrestling now. I have no idea what those two guys are doing. But this was a team that in a very short period in wrestling had some great freaking matches and then just disappeared. And it sucks because like, I would love to have seen how far they could go. But I, I have no idea like if these guys really have any interest in continuing wrestling. Obviously, like, it would imply not because they're, they have not wrestled in two years. And I feel like someone would be interested in picking these guys up because they were fucking killers. You know, they had a great run, but really it's just, it's honestly a mystery to me. It's really, it's honestly a mystery to me. What, what happened there? The world uh, outside, of just, outside of just WWE being insane. Uh, speaking but, of insane. Speaking of insane. War Machine uh, yeah. seems cool. What'd you say? War Machine seems cool. I can't imagine why they, they would change those names. They do. Yeah. We have ringside, speaking of monstrous tag teams, the hottest free agents of sports entertainment. Uh, it's the tag team of Hanson and Rowe, War Machine. Two big guys, they kind of look like Vikings, but yeah, they're not. I mean, we live in the 21st century. There aren't actual Vikings anymore. I think it would be ridiculous to give them a Viking gimmick, but one hell of a monster tag team right there, let me tell you. Uh, War Machine, keep an eye out for those kids. What was the first name they gave them at, uh, once they got onto the main roster? Because Viking Raiders was the second try. What was the first cursed, like, aborted name? The Viking, Viking Experience. There it is. They got called up to the main roster. Like, I, I remember, like, this was far enough back that, like, when, when NXT guys got called to the main roster, I still didn't, like, immediately recoil. I think this was like the uh, like the tipping point for me though was like I, I I seem to remember it was like on Raw or whatever and like they were like a surprise I don't think that they had been announced or anything no like their their music hits for this match and it's like oh it's the War Raiders music cool like awesome you know here we go like they're they're up they're gonna be cool and they're gonna kick ass and then they they show the entrance way and on the Tron it says the Viking experience. <laughs> And instantly everyone's like, oh, and no. oh why yeah. did you do this? But what's hysterical with them, though, is like they're still treated like jokes on the main card. But any, anytime they have a serious tag match, they always get the crowd into it. They they 100 percent of the time, whenever they're given time, the crowd will be like, oh, shit, these guys are great. Yeah. Uh, they are a really fucking cool team. I will never forget like them debuting i think i've mentioned this before when i we talked about uh war machine them debuting in new japan for the first time and like they show up and nobody none of the like, it's in like korakin or something none of the japanese fans have any idea who they are five minutes into the match their like whole crowd is going insane for them <laughs> like they got so over so fast like, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone get that over that fast. Like, it was crazy how fucking over they got. They do it every time. It was so cool. Because all they need to do is just do the shit that they fucking do. They have, like, such a great, like, you know, like, like series of spots for just fucking, get, like, getting over with the crowd every time, you know? Because those guys are freaks. Like, they're so good. Uh, but, yeah, keep an eye out for these, uh, these, young, these young bearded lads war machines. Might be on the on the uh, radar here in NXT pretty soon. Uh, the radar. Ah, good one there, Ange. Next up, it is a singles match between Cassius Ono, aka Chris Hero. Not gonna, you know, just to name drop. Have met him in real life, and again, very very nice man. Wish him the best. Uh, and 
a guy by the name of Velveteen Dream, who is the <laughs> holy fucking shit. This guy was the future. It's insane to watch like how much of a fucking star he was. He was it. He was the fucking guy. And he threw it all away because he wanted to DM little boys on Twitter. What the oh fuck? Oh my god! Man? I f- like I. It's hard to dis- discuss because like the first and foremost thing is like the safety of children and the fact that he is currently a predator. Like that is disgusting and like there aren't words to really describe it. And I, like I just don't have the words or mental capacity to really kind of put it into perspective and say it in an educated manner. It's just gross. It's just utterly gross. And I think the equal parts, not even equal parts, on a lesser scale, it is super infuriating that this is a guy who has so much talent and he just fucking wastes it. It's a waste. It's a waste of talent. Give that to anyone else. Give it to anyone else besides this pedophile. Please, for the love of God. Because, like, you watch the entrance. You watch the mannerisms. You watch how he, hold, like, holds himself on TV. And it's just like, fuck, this guy got the business. He was so good at the business. And he's a fucking disgusting pervert. Yeah, that's really fucking horrifying. Really, really like one of one of the most distressing things to come out of the whole, uh, you know, Me Too wave in uh, uh, like in in wrestling over the last couple of years. Really fucking horrifying. Um, And and, and yeah, no, for for another reason, because like, yeah, like, you know, for what he was what he was, you know, doing, but also at the same time, like you know, you watch him here and it's like, it's undeniable. This guy has a star power about him that is so undeniable. And it's like, at this time you're watching Velveteen dreams, 2018, he's still in his early twenties. And it is impossible to watch him and like, think that he is anything other than WrestleMania main event or world champion, fucking megastar. The, the, the natural just presence that he had, like you could not teach it. Like they're, they're, you're just like born with it or you like you have it or you don't. You know what I mean? Uh, now his dream fun. really is over. The dream over, man. Yeah, he was absolutely fucking undeniable. And. all yeah, this this is coming off of the uh, the feud with Aleister Black, which is like one of my favorite feuds, like maybe ever, like just instantly elevated Velveteen Dream into being a fucking star. Uh, like, like the fucking most perfect example of making a guy look like a superstar in defeat. You know what I mean? Like he lost, he lost that match to Aleister Black, but in doing so, it made him a star. Just m- magical fucking wrestling storytelling there. Uh, but yeah, it is Velveteen Dream, one of the one of the greatest what ifs in wrestling history, in my opinion. Taking on Cassius Ono. Uh, we get a promo where uh, Velveteen Dream promises to knock out the knockout artist Cassius Ono in 30 seconds or less. And Dream Dream comes out. He's got this like box. You know, we're in Philly. You know, they got the Rocky statue. It's a, it's a boxing town, whatever. Um, he's got this like boxer get up on and he walks to the ring. He has like a sexy lady hand him a mouthpiece as he gets in. Cash Sono wrestled Jakara for years back in the, the city where he was a big star. Um, Dream is doing the whole box. And I've, I've actually never seen something like this get over in this way where it's oh like, yeah, God. Dream, like it's just off of like a pre-match like promo where he says like, I'm going to knock him out in 30 seconds or less. And the crowd is like counting. 
And like, they're actually like really into that. Again, I very rarely ever see something like this, like get over in this way. Um, and towards the end of this, like 30 second count, uh, Dream hits Cassius Ono with like a big right hand and he drops him. And Ono is sounding like he's really fucking dazed. Crowd goes crazy for this. And um, they're like counting, you know, for the, for the knockout. And Ono is just able to barely get up. And uh, like the crowd actually like boos Cassius Ono. <laughs> he gets up and beats the, the knockout count here. Again, I mean, very rarely ever see anything like this really get over uh, in this way. Um, but then, uh, you know, he comes back, hits with an elbow, boots him out of the ring. Dream comes back with a huge spine buster, huge uh, Velveteen chance for the Velveteen Dream. Uh, and Dream really, you know, works him over for the majority of this match. Um, hits, uh, just, you know, wears him down for a long time. Uh, eventually, Ono comes back. He counters a suplex, fires back with a bunch of strikes. One of the best strikers that has probably ever come out of uh, American wrestling. Um, hits a running senton, a great discus big boot for a, a near fall. He goes for a, a rolling elbow, but then uh, Dream counters him with a thrust kick, then hits like this kind of weird sloppy looking DDT for a two count. Uh, he goes for springboard, Cash Sono pump kicks him out of the air. Then they do this weird, like it's, it's obviously a pretty botched spot. It looks like Dream was supposed to catch him on his shoulders and then do the rolling Death Valley driver, but he catches him and then they both sort of fall down uh, awkwardly. A couple things do end up getting botched in this match. Um, eventually, Cash Sono kills him with the rolling elbow, but Dream kicks out and then Dream powers him up into the rolling Death Valley driver. Goes up to the top rope, then steps backward onto the ring post and hits one of the biggest purple rainmakers of his life, the diving elbow drop where he clears basically the entire ring. It looked amazing. And Velveteen Dream gets the pin and wins the match in 10 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a very interesting match. Another match where like you have these conflicting styles. You have Ono, who's like an MMA striker. And then Velveteen Dream, who's, you know, this is still a green dream. Like, he's still a little bit sloppy, and we see that at times in the match. But, like, the guy's got ring presence, and that's something that you can't really teach. You either have it or you don't. So, like, you get this very interesting styles of, like, Ono selling his ass off for Dream and everything Dream does. Dream getting plastered by forearms, boots, kicks, everything under the sun. And, you know, it's a nice little back and forth. Dream obviously comes out looking much better. Um, I have a lot of respect for a guy like Ono, a guy who is during this NXT run was putting guys over and over and over. And like, this is the only version of Ono that I know. And like, respect to that guy, because that's not a role a lot of people would do and like do it willingly and do it as well as he does. Because yeah. it, it's like one of those positions where it's like, well, I'm not going to win anything, but like you're kind of like elevating yourself by elevating other people. Like you're always going to be a threat. Like a year later when he does the same thing for Riddle. It's not like it riddles win means any less, but it's just like that's how good Ono is. The cyclone kick was yeah. really cool. Um, and I'll say this, like there's some real like Mick Foley Ono comparisons you could make in terms of like their role and their style, especially like towards the end of their career. Like I, I just maybe it's the fact that they're kind of like at this point podgy older dudes with long hair, but like they both sell their asses off. They put people over. They know the business and they're trying to elevate other people as they go through. 
Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, having had the chance to meet Chris Hero and spend time with him and like talk wrestling with him, he has one of the greatest minds for wrestling I've ever encountered and really fucking loves pro wrestling. I mean, he is one of the most passionate people about wrestling I've ever met. And those are the best people, period. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is a fantastic role for him. At at this point, you know, he's in his late 30s, 40 years old. Um, He's not ever going to be a star. He's not ever going to be an NXT champion, but he's still able to get in there, have killer matches, put younger talent over, make them look really good. And at the same time, I'm pretty sure was like kind of working in like a coaching role as well in the NXT Performance Center. And I mean, like for that kind of job, there is nobody better than that man for that. I mean, that is something that he was really born to be like, especially at this stage of his career. Um, he, and, and yeah, I mean, he is, and he's, you know, still capable of, of going in there and having a killer match. Like, a couple things do get messed up here. Uh, Velveteen dream is a guy that I, I think is, you, you can say was not like, was was still needed some reps to get to that point. You know what I mean? Where he not was a workhorse. Really like a top level worker. You know, I, I think he had like things he was good at and things that like, you know, there are good Velveteen Dream matches and everything. But like you like the thing that made him shine was his presence, right? His presence and his character. Um, and those really I mean, those do shine. I mean, he is very over here. Uh, and he's very wasted. over in a, in a Philly town that is, you know, really respects work rate. Uh, you know, this is al- always a hardcore crowd that respects work rate. Uh, he's there over off of his character and his presence. You know what I mean? The rest of the stuff can come later. Unfortunately, it never did because, uh, you know, things that he, uh, I guess, was accused of doing. But there's I some mean, evidence. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great, folks. Whenever you uh, whenever you are associated with anything like Dream was associated with, you kind of lose the benefit of the doubt. So live in infamy, Velveteen Dream. Enjoy infamy, Velveteen Dream. Yeah, I mean, holy shit, brother! It's like again, it is the biggest. What it's it's honestly it's one of the biggest what ifs for me in wrestling ever. I mean, I, I text like I text you this. Imagine the cross, like him and Lil Nas X. There, there's a collab there in the world where Dream is not a pervert. You you mentioned that the other day. You were like, there is if if Dream is not messaging little boys, uh, we get a Velveteen Dream Lil Nas X like collab. So, and I was like, you said that, and I was like, that's a really weird thing to say. And then I thought about it, and I was like, it's you're completely right though. Like it's like a completely left field idea, but also like would have completely happened and like probably been really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but what are you gonna do? This is this is it. This is this is what we got out of Velveteen. Infuriating uh, on so many levels. Every I mean, like everything about Velveteen Dream was always about the future. Even now, it was like like even watching it at the time. You know, we're, we're in 2018. I'm watching this match. And it's like, man, this this Velveteen Dream guy, he is going to be a star. Like, he has the presence. He has the star power. How good is he going to be in five years? And then we never found out. 
Nope. We never found out and we never will. By the way, and I, I do have more bad news. Uh, I, while you were talking, did a little bit of research onto what exactly the authors of Pain are doing because they're not wrestling. It turns out they've gotten both of them really fucking into NFTs. No. It's like everything that they're doing now. They're like, have like an NFT business. Uh, Uh So, man, (laughs) RIP, RIP the authors of Pain. They died. Uh, (laughs) Sucks. Okay. So, uh, next up, we have a women's title match. It is the champion Ember Moon, who was cool. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Ember Moon wasn't cool. Was cool, is cool. Is cool. No, I mean, I, she had a really good match with Swerve on a indie show that I watched like last week, and it was awesome. Still is cool. Can confirm. Um, she is defending the women's title against the bad MMA bitch on a rampage. Shayna Baszler. Uh, and this match is kind of what you expect. It is Shayna, who is this dominant, legit MMA fighter, fought in the UFC, was, you know, got a lot of notoriety because she was training partners with Ronda Rousey. They're really good friends, but she was in her day a legit, you know, MMA fighter and a legit UFC fighter who got to a pretty decent level at that sport. Um, just trying to, you know, MMA her and just beat her up and work her over and know beat her down uh ember gets her shine early she hits a suicide dive uh and then tries to do like this kind of weird like handspring type move into the corner Shayna catches her and then just beats the shit out of her uh is really working over uh the left arm um and that becomes the story of the match is the left arm um ember uh you know gets gets heated on for a while uh fights back Ends up hitting a couple big moves. She hits the springboard cross body and then goes with the top rope and hits her finishing move, the Eclipse, which is always one of my favorite finishing moves that like kind of cool flipping stunner off the top rope. Awesome fucking move. Um, she hits her finisher on Shayna. Shayna sell, she's, Shayna's out. But Ember, in the process, has fucked her arm, which has already been worked over pretty extensively by Shayna leading up to this point. She has further injured her arm doing this move on Shayna and she cannot get over and cover. They get doctors in to look at her arm. Ember says, I'm going to continue. But then Shayna catches her in an arm bar. Uh, She gets to the bottom rope and then she gets her back in the arm bar. She is fighting it for a long time, but eventually um, Ember rolls on top of her into a roll up and pins Shayna. She gets the pin and retains the belt. In 10 minutes and nine seconds uh, afterwards, as she's slowly making her way up the ramp, Shayna sprints up behind her and attacks her and chokes her out and leaves Ember dead on the floor. Fun match in terms of like establishing characters for both of these uh, women. I mean, Shayna was already being presented as this badass MA chick, and she was. That clip of her choking out the random person in the training center just always a great way to establish. He's like, I'm just going to show up here, choke someone out just for fun. Like, come on yeah. now. That that's I, just I, like, I noticed that too. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's always just a great building. Like, and they show that clip multiple times throughout her run. And it never is just like, not the most sickening thing you've seen. Uh, and then Ember, like just someone who's just very hot. Like they gave her the nickname Sheenom, 
And that should be a nickname. What a terrible fucking nickname. Holy shit. It's not great, but like it's also a nickname that you probably aren't giving out liberally because of the fact. Phenom? It's it's not even a word. Fuck off. It's a play on words for phenom. And the we know, we all know who the phenom is. If I say phenom, who are you thinking of? I mean, obviously it's the Undertaker. Exactly. But I mean, come on. They should they should they should, in the interest of gender equality. Uh, they they named her the Sheenom, and then they retroactively changed the Undertaker's nickname to the Heenom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, but it's, you know it's a great way to keep Ember with the belt for a little bit longer and still make Shayna look great. And that's kind of like ultimately what you do. You won't put both. You always want to be in a position where you can put both people over. Um, because that's ultimately like that's the best end case scenario is that both people get over regardless of win or loss. And Ember yeah. gets over because she shows a ton of heart, fights back, gets the win anyway. And Shayna looks like a killer because pretty much crippled Ember Moon's arm and then tapped her out afterwards anyway. So really cool. I love and about the Eclipse. One of my favorite finishers in modern wrestling is just such an iconic look, such a cool move. Makes sense why it's got such a high power level and like wins out of nowhere, man. They're always fun. If you can yeah, build it- them properly, wins out of nowhere. Fantastic. And I especially like the way that this one was executed, like the roll-up finish, because the roll-up is like a super, like, she basically, like, stacks her all the way fucking up. Oh, yeah. And you when you watch it, you're like, oh, like, I mean, legitimately, there is no way that Shayna is kicking out of that. Like, even as, like, a shoot pin, like, there is no chance she's going to fucking kick out of that. She is folded completely on top of herself. So it was executed in a very, like, realistic-looking way that Ember would be able to pin her with that. Um I do think the one thing that like, and, and I feel like Ember was the one who suffered from this very strongly was like NXT, the women's division had the issue for a long time of like having one dominant badass bitch who killed everybody and no one was on her level. Like Ember got the title after losing to Asuka multiple times when Asuka mm-hmm. was undefeated in NXT for like, year, like her entire like run in NXT, she never lost and beat Ember multiple times. And then vacated the title to move up to the main roster. And then Ember won in her absence. And then Shayna shows up. And you watch this match. And yes, Ember wins. But Shayna, like, you kind of get the feeling that, like, in a rematch, there's no way that Ember's going to be able to pull that off a second time. No. She is not on the level that Shayna is. Shayna is too much of a fucking badass for that. And that ends up, of course, being like, exactly what happens, right? I mean, Shayna ended up taking the belt off of Ember, I think, the next time that they faced off. So, like... They also did Ember no favors because she got, like, again, she was fed to Asuka several times, and she got fed to Shayna several times. Yeah. And and so it's like, you know, she gets this title win. She gets, you know, she gets to be the NXT Women's Champion, and she gets to have this title run. But, like, at no point does it really feel like she's the best. You know, there's always somebody there who is better and more badass than her. And it feels like she's kind of fortunate to have the belt. And then, of course, you know, the next NXT TakeOver New Orleans, yeah, Shayna, you know, chokes her unconscious and takes the title. Um, And I feel like that was kind of a problem that NXT had really after, like, the Four Horsewomen era ended with the women's division, where it was like you had one woman who killed everybody. Mm -hmm. And, like, no one was ever really on her level. And like, if that woman lost, it was a fluke. Like, you know, like I remember, like this was not even the last time that they did like this finish 
where like Shayna got like had a submission on and then got rolled up to lose. Like they did the same finisher, a very similar one with, if I remember correctly, with Kyrie Sane. I think so. A, yeah, I think she had her in the in the choke and then Sane like flipped over and rolled her up and got the pin. Like Another that was like the finish. way that was like the way that you like the only way you were going to beat Shayna is of like like in your in your last death rattle before you fucking like you know go unconscious you like found a way to like roll over her body you know i will say this for her she has been very protected from like a finish by like a regular pinfall or submission i don't think that's happened on the main card and if it has happened it hasn't happened often she's usually just rolled up yeah uh but still i mean frequently yeah frequently (laughs) um yeah, and I mean, she's on, She again, like, this is someone who was pushed at such a very fucking powerful level throughout her whole NXT run, and yeah, on the uh, main roster, she hasn't really done that. She was the uh, tag champ, right, with Nia Jax. That was a fun run. That was, you know, Nia Jax was involved, so it sucked. But, I mean, she got that going on, but like, you know, it just, it hasn't really felt like she has been it, at least to me, it hasn't really felt like she has mattered at all on the main roster, you know? Nope, not at all. Not one bit. But again, as we mentioned at the top of the show, she is the only person on the show who is on the NXT main or on the on the WWE main roster. Not counting Zelina Vega, who doesn't actually wrestle, but she is there and gets involved. So I guess you could count her. But of the people actually working a match on the show against Shayna is the only one who is currently on the WWE main roster, which is Really fucking weird that that is how that worked out, considering the fucking talent on this show. Anyway, we do have a, a brief appearance by another guy on the uh, current main roster. Uh, at ringside, the hottest new signing to NXT, a young lad by the name of Trevor Mann. Trevor Ricochet. <laughs> I thought this was so funny. <laughs> Trevor Ricochet Mann. They have his the ring name Ricochet in parentheses in between Trevor Mann, which again, like Ricochet, one of the most heart-stopping in-ring performers I have ever seen. Insanity. It's just a guy named Trevor Mann from Kentucky, you know? <laughs> Bizarre <laughs> that like one probably like if on the very short list of best high flyers of this era is a guy named Trevor Mann from the Boondoggles of Kentucky. He is from Kentucky, and his name is Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) And he is, like, the most incredible high flyer you've ever seen. Um, Next up, we have a humdinger of an Extreme Rules match. Aleister Black versus Adam Cole, baby. Uh, Now, have enjoyed uh, Malachi Black in AEW. Kings of the Black Throne, a cool team. Loving them. Uh, Malachi Black, cool. Alistair Black, though? Cooler. Oh, that motherfucker. NXT Alistair Black was really fucking cool, I gotta say. Uh, with the whole the entrance where he is, like, wheeled up on the... Oh, like, my gosh. Whatever the fuck that is. Ah, my God. He was so goddamn I cool. don't even understand it, but it's just, like, it, it works for him. It's understandable. <laughs> yeah. And again, I mean, I have to say, like, this is the one thing that I think NXT did better than almost anyone. They knew how to present a guy as a star. I mean, they, they were really, really effective at that. They, they could make people who weren't even that good 
Like, look at how much of an like a fucking monster Karrion Cross looked like uh, just out of his pure entrance and his presentation in NXT. They knew how to do that. They knew how to present a guy in a unique way to make them look like a star. And they really pulled it off with Aleister Black. And then, of course, everyone would get up to the main roster and have all that taken away from them. But we still had the good times. Uh, Adam Cole, as you might expect, man was over, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Extreme Rules match, Black versus Cole. Uh, they go straight to brawling. Um, we get some cool weapon spots, but you know this match really pops the most when they're just wrestling and doing you know cool reversals at each other and trying to kick each other and trying to knee each other in the face. These guys just have really good chemistry. Um, we have a really cool mat, uh, really cool spot early on uh, where we have like this kendo stick face off where Alistair like <laughs> just like tosses his away and he's like, "I'll fight you without the stick." Um, and it's just beating his ass. He, then he goes for a springboard moonsault, and Adam Cole whacks him out of midair with the kendo stick. Adam Cole, like, this is a very specific thing. The all-time greatest wrestler probably ever at, like, timing a move while someone is doing a moonsault at them. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, between that and the uh, – I mean, they did the same spot with uh, – the ricochet and uh, and then recently in the and the uh, hangman Texas death match where he did the uh, the super kick out of the uh, the moonsault. He did it on the outside in the uh, hangman match the other day. Uh, dude just knows how to time someone doing a moonsault. Uh, he hits a backstabber with the kendo stick over uh, Alistair's like throat for a near fall. We get a garbage can introduced into the ring and Alistair Black tosses Cole off the top rope onto the can and then hits a running knee for a near fall. Uh, we got some more stuff introduced. We had a couple tables set up on the outside. Uh, we get a ladder introduced into the match. Cole uh, baseball slides the ladder into black. And then uh, uh, Alistair Black ends up, ladder gets set up in the corner. Alistair Black gets him up on his shoulders and throws him face first into the ladder. Um, we have uh, one of the standout spots of the, uh, the match. Uh, black sticks Adam Cole's like head into a chair, goes up top, is like, threatening to like you know basically uh murder him um cole gets up grabs the chair throws it to black black catches it and then cole super kicks the chair into his head and then alistair falls off the top rope right through the two tables that were set up on the outside crowd it is amazing that. how little he reacts to falling through the tables he literally just falls like a sack of potatoes yeah he just completely just tumbles through this uh this yeah, it's a completely like just, you know, dead man falling off, uh, falling off a bridge, you know, um, it's, it's great. Uh, he gets black back into the ring, but he kicks out of that. He sets, uh, Cole sets up two chairs together, like back to back, but then black gets him up on his shoulders and slams him onto the top of the two chairs, uh, running drop kick into the chair, into Cole's head. Uh, but then we get some outside interference. Kylo Riley and Bobby Fish reappear. Fellow members of the Undisputed Era, they get in there, break up the pin. They hit uh, Alistair Black with a total elimination on the floor. They drag his corpse around ringside to the announce table. They're going to slam him through the table. Then we get an appearance from, remember these freaking guys? Sanity, Sanity. shows up. Eric Young. Big Alexander Eric Young guy Wolf. here. Yeah, big Eric Young guy. Eric Young, Alexander Wolf, and Killian Dane show up. Uh, three more guys no longer employed by uh, WWE in any way. Um, 
they show up, they interfere, uh, they go after the Undisputed Era. Uh, Killian Dane standout moment, big the big Irish bastard uh, doing a suicide dive onto everybody onto the outside. Then uh, Adam Cole goes up to uh, tries to suplex Black through the announce table, but Black like bucks him off onto the table, hits a running meteora through the table. The crowd is absolutely fucking on fire at this point. Uh, huge NXT chance. We all love it. Back in the ring. Here's the finish. Adam Cole swings for a chair shot, misses, and eats my favorite finisher in wrestling, the Black Mass. Alistair Black hits the spinning kick and gets the pin. 22 minutes and two seconds. Fucking fun as hell. So much going on, and it's all fantastic. I mean, Alistair Black just starting off this like match with a promo saying, I do not need extensions of myself because I was born a weapon. That was such a cool Oh, my God. Oh, dude, how goddamn cool was he? <laughs> so cool. When was the last time Adam Cole had zero crowd reaction? Because the guy, I, I don't remember at a time where no one did the Adam Cole baby. Or yeah, just like the, the boom. That is that is that is the one thing that like I I remember hearing that like you know, like reading about the um the like circumstances around him leaving WWE. I mean, they had a big like contract offer for him to come back when his contract expired last year, and obviously, like you know, they were willing to pay him a lot of money to come back, and you know, but. Of course, they wanted to move him up to the main roster and change his name and do or, or do a bunch of shit and like repackage him. And he was basically like, "No, I am I like a very important part of who I am and me being over is me doing the boom and me doing the Adam Cole baby." And like, even even if you get to a point where like Adam Cole cools off and people don't care about him as much anymore, people are still going to in unison do the Adam Cole baby. Like that is a thing of his that is over and I cannot foresee it not being over. It's like the Daniel Bryan yes chance. Like no matter how badly Daniel Bryan doesn't want to do the yes chance in AEW or Bryan Danielson doesn't want to do the yes chance, people are still doing the yes chance. Yeah. He is, I mean, that is going to be a thing that he has that locked in until he retires, which is genius. I mean, come on. People would kill to have something like that that is like that over and they can just kind of like chill with that forever. Yeah, I mean, just great. And then, like, the match build itself was so cool because you have Aleister Black continuing to, like, fight without weapons for the longest time because of that, like, initial promo. He's just like, I don't need a weapon to fight you. And, like, he's no-selling everything that Adam Cole kind of throws at him. Like, when Adam Cole has a kendo stick, he, he, I don't care. When you have a steel chair, I don't care. It was just, like, you're selling Black as a guy who goes beyond just weapons. Like, he's, like, he's willing to kill you with his bare hands, and he probably can. The kendo stick yeah. midair uh, with mid moon salt, fantastic. The backstab with the kendo, fantastic. They did a really great job of elevating when weapons were used. Like they started off small with kendo sticks and chairs, and it slowly got bigger with the tables and the ladders and everything else under the sun. The trash cans. They did a great job of building it up. They didn't just go for the tables right away. They did. They built up to the tables, which made it more meaningful. Yeah, um, like the super kick to the chair and the fall through the tables, just like iconic you can watch that on a loop and i would never get bored of it uh i feel like every match you're gonna have to have a now you're scheduled undisputed era run-in already in progress because it happens every adam cole match that's a huge match that he has to win but we already talked about that 
it's just great. And then the Meteor Third Table looked good. The Black Mass, devastating finisher. Just absolutely devastating. One that just sounds impeccable every time it hits. Like, it, you see the guy's head twist off his head body every time he catches it. Just, man, such a fun match. I will say this, though, for Adam Cole. He is proof that we live in a simulation because that man looks like Triple H and Shawn Michaels' love child. Like, literally, yes. like, you split them together, you get Adam Cole. Yeah, it's it's really true. Um, and really bizarre. Uh, but yeah, I, this is a, you know, obviously it's Philly, so we have to have an extreme rules match, right? But this match is, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, it's so well fucking paced, right? Like, they have the big weapon spots, they have the guys going through tables and, like, you know, the, the stuff that you expect. But, yeah, they don't throw it all at you at once, and they let it build throughout the match. So when they happen, like, it means something. It feels more important. It feels bigger. And, like, it's just, it's very impactful, right? And, again, they don't toss everything out you at once. And in between, there's some very good wrestling between two guys who are very good wrestlers. I, I, I honestly feel like, you know, the, the, uh, the weapon spots and the going through table spots are really cool. The meteor through the announce table is great. Alistair getting knocked off the top rope through the tables are great, but it pops the most when they're just wrestling and they're doing their shit, you know, and you know, they're, they're reversing all these kicks and knees and doing all this cool kind of fast paced stuff. That's when it really hits the most for me. You know, um, it's just a fun fucking wrestling match, uh, all the way through. It truly is very much. I will say this too. I love, I do think AEW does the run-ins too much. There is a lot of run-ins in AEW, but at least when they make sense, they're a lot more justifiable. And Sandy coming into uh, screw with Huey with a storyline sense that made sense. They're not there to back up Alistair Black. They're there simply to fight off Undisputed Era because they have they want to get their pound of flesh. Yeah, I like I I have always enjoyed when people's stories intersect and in wrestle. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like Sanity isn't out there because they have decided that they want to become Aleister Black's lackeys. They don't really give a shit about him either way. They just have a grudge against the Undisputed Era and want to beat their asses. And they have an opportunity to do so. And, you know, it helps Aleister Black out, and that's great. But they've got their own shit going on. Uh, I, I really liked that. Um and yeah, this match is just fucking, it's fun. It's just, you know, you need to have one of these matches. Like, it's its always fun to have one of these matches on every show where you have like a gimmick match where the people in the crowd, they get to see their chairs and their tables and all their shit. And, you know, whether it's an Extreme Rules match or a ladder match or whatever you're doing, there is always a place for one of these mm -hmm. on every big show. 100%. And I, I honestly, it's not required, I suppose. But I always feel like I want one, you know, if you're going to have like a pay-per-view, especially, you know, here, you know, NXT TakeOver, I, I, I view it very much the same way as I do AEW, where it's like, you know, at this time, there were four a year, I suppose, four or five a year. They're spaced out enough so they really feel like a big deal. And so I want one of those big, like, you know, hey, let's let's have a fucking party and do a bunch of spots you know, and, and do some shit with ladders and tables and all that stuff. I want one of those to show. And this is a really, really good one of those. It's, this is very fun to watch. David is now that 
I would like to announce that I'm selling the rights to the podcast to control your narrative wrestling, and I'm keeping all the money. Angelo has controlled his narrative. <laughs> yeah, we've got a so next up. Yeah, we do the last like uh, <laughs> we do the last like hottest free agent in sports entertainment. Uh, here's this here's this guy at ringside. Ooh, uh, and it's EC3. It's we have a certain we have a certain narrative controller in the audience tonight. <laughs> uh, that one aged hilariously. <laughs> You know, the crowd getting all over for EC3, considering how, A, how insane his WWE run was, like, just completely botched in every way. And then, like, everything he's done after WWE. Man's comedic timing, though, is impeccable, and I can't believe they didn't make a career out of that. Yeah, that has always been the thing, and I've always said this about EC3. He's a funny motherfucker when he's, like, trying to be funny. Uh, And I just, you know... Never, under, never, never understood it. What's that thing from Impact where it was like uh, the all-in briefcase yeah, where I, he just chooses the wrong one and he ends up firing and just stands yeah, there for I, five I, minutes? I think, yeah, I think I shared you guys that uh, that the video when he when he signed with NXT and he ended up uh, like leaving Impact. Like, yeah, he lost the like Feaster fired match and he got fired. And his like reaction and promo to getting fired is legitimately one of the funniest things I have ever seen in wrestling. So now, now that, you know, we, we have EC3 introduced, uh, it is now time for the main events and it is, uh, promising to be a really fucking good one. It is an NXT title main events, the champion Andrade Cien Almas taking on the beloved babyface challenger, Johnny Gargano. Uh, and this is like the Andrade entrance. Uh, the one with the, he, the, the masked mariachi band. He comes in uh, the one that uh, Jake gets emotional about all the fucking time. Um, Andrade coming out as the champion coming out first with his manager, Zelina Vega in incredibly powerful combination. These two high power level. So high, very high power level combination. People forget Andrade, uh, his NXT run was kind of like floundering until he got paired up with Zelina and they turned him heel, paired him up with Zelina, and then it launched. It completely launched. Um, one of the best ideas that they really have come up with uh, to just like, you know, kick a guy's career to the next year. Something, I also, something I also really appreciate with this too, and we talked about it before the podcast, is that like, they paired up Vega and Andrade, and you look at NXT 2.0 now, and the thing that they do is they over-sexualize everything, but here are just two ga- two attractive people of opposite gender, and they don't even, like, have any remotely, like, tension between them. It's just a complete business relationship that makes sense, and they both play off each other so well in that role, and, like, it ma- it was just a great pairing, like you said. It, was, it made so much sense, and they were both better for it. I actually like Vega more as a manager. Because I think she does great with the mannerisms. She's a great promo. And like she knows how to Im- impact a match from a managerial standpoint. It just was always fantastic with her. Yeah. Zelina was absolutely tremendous in this role. And again, yeah, I mean, it was very, very unique. Here you have a, uh, a male wrestler who is a, a very handsome guy. And a female manager who is a very attractive woman. And yeah, like... They're just not fuck it. It is a completely purely business relationship and played as a completely purely business relationship the entire way through. 
which I, yeah, I always thought was extremely interesting and unique. And I always really liked that. I thought it would be like, honestly, kind of cheap if they tried to play it as like, you know, any sort of like romantic or sexual tension between the two. No, it was, they were literally just, it was a completely business relationship. She was awesome in that role and helped elevate Andrade into really being a star here where again, as came in as a baby face and the crowd kind of didn't really respond to him. And he was kind of floundering for a while. It was for a while, you know, kind of a bust for at least the first part of his run in NXT. He was seen as like kind of a bust. It wasn't really working out. He didn't really get over and then turn the page. Boom. He's a star. So they, they really nailed that one. Looks like money smells like money. Yes. That, and still to this day, love him in AEW. I mean, oh we, we, we have had kind I mean, you, I, I think we, we talked about this a little bit before the, uh, the show. I have, I, I think you have some disappointments with his AEW run. I have wholeheartedly enjoyed it all the way through. I think he's been great. I want to say disappointing is the right word. I kind of like, I'm wanting more, but that's kind of greedy. Like for him, it's kind of like the same thing with like Swerve and Keith Lee. All three of those guys. And this is also just a problem with AEW having such a giant roster that they do is that you can't have everyone in the main event. You, the, the, the main event, you're going, you can only have so many guys before it gets convoluted. So like you kind of have to have them do other things with Andrade, man. Like I honestly love his work in ring. He's like, he's kind of old school in the sense of the fact, like he is like, he has the look of that you look for in the wrestlers, like very WWE, like, uh, which is just all the more surprising when they cut him. But like his yeah. move pool isn't like super high flippy shit. It's all like you have some high flying moves, but a lot of it's like ground and pound. That DDT he has, the hammerlock DDT is one of my favorite finishers in all of wrestling. He's just like a no nonsense guy. And I always feel like the presentation for him hits and miss. And I kind of credit that to like the Hardy Andrade family office thing, which has kind of been hit and miss the entire time. They have great guys on the stable and they have great matches. But, like, the whole background of it always didn't kind of click for me. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of enjoy, like, I feel like Andrade at this point in his character now uh, works well as a guy who just has a bunch of goons who work for him. I'm excited to see what comes next with him. Yeah, I, I, I think that it works. You know, I, I, I personally like it. And he has the... Uh, the uh, <laughs> the, one of the weirdest things that I've, I've seen in AEW is like Jose the assistant like appearing randomly and then weirdly somehow also randomly getting kind of over and he's like, Jack too like when yeah. he did the dart when it was uh, this coffin match where he tears the shirt off and starts beating up Darby I'm like why is Darby getting beat up by a manager and then you realize how big he is I'm like oh grand they did yeah. make him look at, like a Jamoke afterwards but it was just very jarring to see, <laughs> to see a manager oh, like, look huge you were you were there in person. I know you can confirm or deny, but it sounded like when he like took a shirt off and squared up to Darby that people were like, "Oh shit, let's go!" Like people were actually like hyped about it. It was a surprise. It was definitely more of a surprise pop as opposed to like being genuinely over. Kind of like uh, it's the same appreciation that uh, Rodrigo Rodriguez got when he did the uh, Alberto Del Rio entrance for the Royal Rumble. Okay, fair enough. So it was more of a like in the moment thing a surprise pop than it was like a Jose, the assistant is uh, actually kind of over. Uh, yes. Pop. Okay. Interesting. But like, yeah, 
I thought it was funny how he just like appeared randomly one day and there's like no explanation as to who this guy is. <laughs> I've always thought that was really funny. But yeah, then he's like randomly like just fucking jacked. Uh, really, really cool. But yeah, Andrade as the champion here in NXT is a heel with Zelina Vega and he is defending the title against Johnny Freakin' Wrestling who is like the baby face of the millennium. I mean, you really had to like go back in time here to like remember how beloved Johnny Wrestling was as a babyface, Johnny Gargano was like the babyface. There, everyone loved him. Everyone was so fucking invested in him being the NXT champion. It was crazy, and then it would only grow after this with the Champa feud. It was like really, you're just like watching the blossoming of this guy into a fucking like just beloved star. So we have. Uh, Johnny Gargano, his whole family, and his uh, his uh, wife. I don't know if they were married yet at the time. They might have been like engaged or whatever. But Candice LeRae, who is now his wife, um, and they recently had a kid. Yep. Congratulations to the Gargano family. Of course, a wrestler herself. Uh, they are who was signed to NXT. I think not that long before this. Um, they are at ringside, and uh, that will figure in later. Um, this match is just a classic, arguably the best match in NXT history. There are a few ones that you can also put in there with Five this match. Yeah, I mean, I the, the first one I think of along with this is the next uh, Johnny Gargano takeover match, which is the unsanctioned match with Champa. Um, but this is one of the best. This this wound up being like at the time it was like this is the best NXT match in history. As a traditional match, this is like probably the best it gets because I think that there's a lot of other NXT ones that are good that have gimmicks. But this is just like a straight up singles match that is just instant classic. And if we're counting NXT UK, another match we have watched for this show: Tyler Bate and Walter, which is one of the in that same vein. Which is yeah, another straight up wrestling match with a lot of storytelling in it. And is one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. But this is this is way up there. This is if you're making a pantheon of NXT matches, uh, Andrade versus Gargano is in that. Um, very good technical wrestling early on in this match with both of these guys uh, teasing their finishers uh, back and forth. Um, we get a spot early on where Johnny goes for a running cannonball. Um, off the apron and misses and splats on the ground right in front of Candice. Um, and Andrade heats him up. He's working over the lower back. He uh, goes for the Alberto Del Rio corner stomp. Uh, Gargano ducks and hits an overhead belly to belly into the corner, fires back real big, comes off the top rope and hits like, it looks like it's like a swinging STO, hits the slingshot spear for the first like big near fall of the match. Um, Goes for a head scissors, but then Andrade spins him out into a face buster. Uh, Andrade does this. The, I, I always love this Andrade spot where he goes for the moonsault and then the guy like rolls away mm. and then he lands on his feet instantly into a standing with. I don't know how the fuck he does that. It is so fucking sick. I would throw up if I, if um, I had the skills to do it. I would throw up. It's so it's such a cool spot. Uh, he hits that. He um, then I, I love this. He absolutely kills him with the running, like spinning back elbow. It's like the running Judas effect uh, and then hits the ropes. And then Johnny comes back with a super kick 
Johnny hits the uh, the Will Osprey cheeky Nando's kick in the corner. Um, tries to float over, do like a float over uh, power bomb off the top rope, and then Andrade flips out of it. Hits his running double knees in the corner, goes for it a second time. Johnny uh, gets out of the way, uh, goes for a slingshot spear, gets reversed into a draping face buster, and then an inverted tornado DDT. Bunch of intricate shit going on for a huge near fall. Crowd is going insane for this. Like, I mean, the like the depth of like the reversals these guys are doing to each other, how intricate these spots oh are, God. how perfectly everything is getting executed. We're halfway maybe through this match and you already feel that you are watching something very, very special. It's, it's really awesome. Um, like this is just like wrestling at the highest fucking level that you can get. Um, Johnny hits a slingshot DDT on the apron gets in the ring, hits a huge running clothesline, gets him up, hits the lawn dart into the corner. He goes for a super kick or he's going for like kind of like the DIY, like super kick on the guy like kneeling in the middle of the ring. Zelina Vega, for the first time in the match, gets involved, grabs the leg, just distracts him enough so that Andrade gets up, uh, hits a drop kick. He goes for a hammerlock DDT, which was his finishing move at the time, uh, but it gets reversed into a small package. And then Johnny gets up, hits the super kick, but Alberto, uh, Andrade kicks out. Andrade then hits the Alberto double stomp that he tried to hit earlier in the match. He hits it to the outside this time, uh, slams him into the ring apron a bunch of times, hits the double knees in the corner in the ring for a near fall. We get these big, big striking battle in the ring. Johnny hits a super kick and a poison Rana hits the head scissors into the Gargano escape. He's got his finishing hold on. Andrade is reaching for the ropes Eventually, Zelina reaches out and grabs Andrade's hand as the ref breaks this up and turns around. Andrade rakes the eyes to escape the hold, goes for the hammerlock DDT. Johnny backdrops him out, hits a suicide dive to the outside. And then as Andrade rolls back into the ring, kind of grabs the ref. And as the ref has his attention pulled away, Zelina... Hurricane Rana's Johnny into the stairs. That was one of the one of the good things about Zelina was when she would interfere, she could do stuff like that. Oh yeah, she very, you know she is a wrestler, a very athletic, uh, very athletic woman, and could do shit like that. That was really cool. Her timing on those two, like she never, it never felt like it was being overdone. It was always at the right moment. It was like at the yes. right moment of the match where she intervenes, and it was always just picture perfect every time. Yes, very seriously. I mean, for real, one of my all like at least like in recent years, favorite like wrestler manager combos is Andrade Zelina. Uh, was really hoping that they were going to uh, reunite them in AEW when Zelina got released, and then she went back to WWE. So now she's doing what she's doing. But I, I love this combo. Um, so yeah, Zelina Hurricane Rana's hit into the stairs. Back in the ring, Andrade hits the Hammerlock DDT, hits his finishing move. Johnny kicks out of his finisher and the crowd is going fucking ape shit for Johnny wrestling. When he kicks out of Andrade's finisher, uh, jo- uh, Johnny rolls out of the ring. Zelina goes after him, but after as Zelina starts coming after him, Candice LeRae jumps the barricade and beats Zelina's ass. The crowd goes nuts for Candice jumping the barricade to, uh, to save her man and, and run uh, Zelina off. She beats Zelina's ass. She basically chases him away from ringside. 
uh, crowd is chanting, thank you, Candice, for Candice LeRae. Uh, Johnny hits the slingshot DDT for a huge near fall. He locks on the Gargano escape. Andrade just barely makes it to the bottom rope. And now we're here at the finish of the match. On the apron, Andrade ends up shoving Johnny into the ring post. Hits the double knees in the corner that is his double knees spot against the post on the outside, which just mm. looks nasty. I'm sure it was, I mean, I, you can do that in a completely safe way, but like, and I'm sure they did do it completely safe, but like visually that looked like, oh, Johnny died. Uh, Johnny has this like glassy eyed vacant stare afterwards. Like he's, you know, he's, you know, just been concussed. And then in the ring, Andrade hits the draping hammerlock DDT and he gets the pin and retains the belt. 32 minutes and 20 seconds. The first Dave Meltzer rated five-star match under a WWE banner, uh, counting NXT as WWE, uh, in seven years. The previous one was CM Punk versus John Cena and Money in the Bank. Uh, First five-star match in NXT history. Afterwards, uh, Johnny gets a standing O in the ring from the crowd. He and Candice make their way up the ramp. And as they pause and turn around to take in the, uh, the reaction from the Philly crowd one last time, here comes Tommaso Ciampa, who appears from behind and attacks him with the crutch. Huge heat for Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, this was the first time Ciampa had appeared on WWE Pro or NXT programming since the previous TakeOver Chicago because he had originally turned heel on Johnny after they had lost the tag title match to, I believe it was the revival at TakeOver Chicago. Afterwards, he had turned on Johnny right at the close of the show. It was one of the best fucking tag matches ever. He turns on Johnny and... He, but he had gotten like injured in that match. So he like disappeared for months because he was out injured. And this was his return. His first appearance on NXT in months was him showing up at the end of this match unannounced and hitting Johnny with the crutch and just injecting fucking rocket fuel into one of the greatest feuds that we have seen in our lifetime. The Sicilian psychopath, man. Love Champa, but let's talk about Andrade Gargano. Like, this was not a wrestling match, David. This was a chess match, like just play after play after play. You could see how both of them were kind of thinking throughout the match and just building this up, much like the match before with Black and Cole kind of elevating by weapons. They kept on elevating in terms of like how big a spot they can do. They kind of teased it out perfectly. Like you start low impact, low impact, and you start building and building and building. And that's it was just like. Again, I said I've said storytelling a lot. This is just a very good storytelling card. This was what NXT was really great at. Was just like compare, like giving guys personality, letting them have dope matches, and then building a story within that match. It was like NXT's bread and butter was doing all three of those things, and it's why it was appointment television. Uh, Rebel Heart, one of the great themes of this time and an era. Is that like the best baby? Is that is that like the best babyface theme song of all time, or what? It's just a great theme song because like he was able, he, he was even able to like tr- use it when he was a heel. Like, he kind of figured out how to, like, parlay it into a heel. Granted, they got rid of it when the way became a thing. But they did. I thought, you know, it's just a great theme. It's iconic. By the way, here. by the way, absolutely loved uh, the Gargano way. It was so good. Um, they were so funny. Fuck. Uh, the chain wrestling to start off was really good. Just teasing, like, the basic stuff. Like, things you would see in a wrestling school. Then you get into the finisher teases chain, which is another, again, really cool. Just so you have so many of these counters 
And then it leads to the first real peak of the match, which is Gargano going splat, going for a high-risk move. And that kind of gives Andrade the control. And then you get that slingshot spear. The knees, the turnbuckle miss from uh, uh, Andrade into a hanging DDT. And then you get another moment of a mistake. Gargano hitting the one final beat on the apron, which looks like a very big impact move. But there's a lot of hubris there because of the fact that you have to go through all that effort. You've already spent so much effort throughout this match. And now you have to kind of expend that effort to try and get Andrade back in the ring. Um, the fake super kick is always fun because like you the seeing the guy react to the super kick and then you just end up going low on him. Just very smart. Like it's, it's like one of those moments that show that this is a chess match. There's some thinking going on here. It's not just, hey, we're going to do all these cool moves. We're going to be like, there's a lot of things going on mentally as well. Uh, again, I mentioned this before, Vega just picking your spots beautifully. Uh, Gargano selling the desperation with the Gargano escape every time. Just like the look of like, I need to finish this match with this move each time. And the kick out of the hammerlock DDT, man. Holy shit. I was watching this match and I kind of like popped a little bit because I was like, oh, snap. He kicked out. I was surprised he kicked out. Genuinely. Even though I've seen this match before, I was surprised that that first hanging uh, hammerlock DDT was a kick out. Candice LeRae playing her role as a white hot baby face perfectly. Johnny going from that near fall into immediately putting uh, Andrade into the Gargano escape, the rope break, the knees to the post, the hanging DDT, and then Champa just showing zero remorse at the end of the match. Just, oh my gosh, this is professional wrestling at its finest, folks. So much storytelling going into this match. So much action, so much teases, so much fun. That's what wrestling is. It's supposed to be fun, and it doesn't get much more fun than this. This is a flawless match from start to finish. Truly. Um, it is two guys who are at a very high level. Um, and they're like, it, it reminds me of like, and I, I remember saying this about when we watched my personal favorite match of all time, which is the X division triple threat at unbreakable 2005, AJ, Joe and Daniels, where it's like, you have three guys who are at the very, very top of the game. And they go in there and just have the perfect night. You know what I mean? Where they are just on, on everything. Like they don't, they're not even like even a half a fucking, you know, millisecond off on anything. You know, they just both put in a 10 out of 10 performance on the biggest stage that they, that they've been on. And this is like that to me. I mean, you have two guys who are at the absolute top of the game that the crowd is very invested in. And they go in there and they have a lot of intricate stuff that they do. A lot of very intricate, uh, you know, spots where they're doing moves back and forth and reversing things into other reversals and then doing this and this. And they are just perfect on everything. Everything is executed at the highest level. And both guys play their roles perfectly. Um, Andrade as... You know, the heel with the combination of Zelina, again, we talked about how good of a combo they were. She really elevated him. Um, Johnny as just this pure baby face that everyone is so invested in seeing him win. Um, he, I mean, he was over at the level that, like, I mean, you have people in the crowd who really, really genuinely care about the result of this match. I mean, you know, a lot of times when, when I'm watching a wrestling show, I'm, I, I have to say, like, I, I'm not necessarily like most of the time I'm like, you know, whoever wins, that's great. I want, I just want to see a good match. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to see a good match. And like, you know, 
I'll be fine. Whoever wins. But this is a match. It's so much better when you really care. Who oh wins. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and this was a match where everybody watching cared about who won and was invested emotionally in Johnny Gargano winning this match and just elevates everything because every near fall means so much more. And they, they, and there are some great fucking near falls in, in this match. Johnny Gargano <laughs> to me, like, and I remember this moment very clearly, like to me, him kicking out of the hammerlock DDT was like one of the near falls of my fucking life. You know, <laughs> I remember being watching this match as it happened and, you know, they do the interference spot with Zelina and, you know, then Johnny hits the hammer or uh, uh, Andrade hits the hammer like DDT. And we had seen him win so many matches that exact way. Interference spot with Zelina, Hammerlock DDT, one, two, three. We had seen him win so many matches that exact way that when it happened, I was like, oh, well, that sucks. At least this was a great match. Um, hopefully they'll have a rematch. And then when Johnny kicked out, like jumping out of my fucking chair, you know, like that is that is the kind of moment that like makes like that 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 shit like that is why it is so fucking fun to be a wrestling fan man like that that is why truly that is what you that is what you fucking do it for man and also like think of johnny's career and like how the arc has gone with him too especially at this point he went from uh cruiserweight guy to tag team guy to losing in big matches guy to being a number one contender like the guy like you think of how you're supposed to progress through whatever you do, whether it's like a job or school or like through the card, if we're talking about wrestling and Johnny did that, Johnny literally, you can look at his entire career path and realize he started at cruiserweight and then worked his way up to another level every single time to the point where like he won the title and we were like, well, what's he going to do next? And then like, he comes up with the way. So now he's not even doesn't even need the title he's elevating the mid card like the guy we think about wrestling mats i think that he truly is another one that is like very special on that level in terms of figuring out how to play the role and he's all the more special too because think about how hard it is to be a babyface today without feeling corny like yeah you look at wwe's roster and like a lot of the babyfaces are just babyfaces because they oppose the heel they're not like true defined like i want root for these guys like the new days are really only one i think of when i think of like that true white meat baby face and like a lot of these guys just feel corny but like gargano was always genuine it never felt fake it never felt like he was just blind or irrational or just being completely stupid for the sake of being a baby face he was a fully fleshed out baby face with depth which is very rare yeah i mean uh, uh, there have been a few times over the last like you know like since i've been watching wrestling that you've really seen someone like that come along like it's very very rare when you're talking uh, like i i think about uh johnny i think about sammy zane and his nxt run if you haven't seen seen him and his nxt run and i think about hangman page in aew oh yeah where you have somebody who just you know comes along as this just pure baby face who has this just natural, like strong, like develops this natural strong connection with the crowd that just gets behind him and loves him. And it's not through them, you know, it's not because they're trying to be cool, you know? And then that's like a very like, like, like important, like, you know, differentiator here. They're not over because they're cool. 
and they're not necessarily trying to be really cool. Like they are, I mean, like Hangman is cool, but it's very much like he is being himself and has this, you know, like very genuine connection with the crowd. Um, and that's, that's how Johnny Gargano was, especially at this time. And that's how Sami Zayn was in his NXT, you know, babyface run toward when he ended up, you know, on his way to the being NXT champion. It was just like, this is a guy who is just a pure babyface who the crowd loves them. And he's really just being himself like, you know, uh, insecurities and all, you know what I mean? He's just a very genuine character and has developed this very powerful connection with the fans. Uh, and again, I mean, it's like Johnny, uh, Sami Zayn, uh, Hangman. I, I, I really struggle to like think of think of anyone else, at least in America. Like, I mean, Tanahashi in Japan mm-hmm. is like that. But like guys who are just over level, and it's not because they're and they're not trying to be cool. They're just being who they are. You know, like it's it's a very short list. I'm interested to see how Cody's WWE run goes because like right now he is very white meat babyface and being. Mostly the same person he was on AEW. Yeah, uh, but again, you know, in AEW, fast. the crowd did end up. Now, now they he was super over as a babyface initially, but yeah, the crowd did turn on him. So uh, that'll be very interesting to see if that happens in WWE. Uh, I I have all I, I I still feel like at least to me, and I I'm a Cody fan. I wanna I wanna you know specify that I am a Cody fan. I think it's great. But, like, he always comes off like he is trying too hard, you know? I kind of think that's who he is, though. Like, I feel like Cody's just one of those guys that he's going to do 120%. It's going to rub people the wrong way because not a lot of people have that capacity to do that enthusiasm and even less have the capacity to kind of deal with people with that enthusiasm. But I never feel like watching Cody that he's not being genuine. It's just like... He's very over the top, and that can be very grating. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like, yeah, I, people people do sense that when you're trying a little too hard, and I feel like Cody does try a little too hard. Mm-hmm. But with like someone like Johnny Gargano, it's like he was always trying like just the right amount. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. You could tell, like, this was just a guy who was just a, you know, he was just, you know, he was like, like, what, what, what would you say that Johnny Gargano's character was in NXT? He was just Johnny Gargano. He was just like, this is our boy and we love him. Kind of like you know what lo- I mean? A lovable like, wrestling dork. He's just like, he was the heart and soul of the fucking brand. He was the guy who went out there and just gave it his fucking all every single time he was in the ring. Johnny and Takeover. He was Johnny Takeover. He was Johnny. I mean, he was Johnny Wrestling, right? That and like he didn't have any sort of overt character, really. He was just our boy Johnny. You know, that was our boy, and we loved him, right? Like, it's just it's a very rare thing when someone like that comes along, and it works at the level that it does, and you get the crowd behind you in that way. And when you have somebody like that, motherfucker. You need to you need to cherish them and you need to do everything you fucking can with them, because with AEW, you have seen it with Hangman. There was something very genuine that happened there between Hangman and the fans and that developed this this huge, you know, you know, like wellspring of support for him. And they built that story around him. He got over like crazy. He won the title. Everyone loved it. 
And he's now, you know, I, with, with, uh, with him, I was afraid that we were going to like, you know, sometimes when you have like someone like this, where the chase is so good, Mm -hmm. when he finally wins the title, you worry that the rain, like the title rain isn't going to be as good, but he's in the middle of like an insanely good title rain. Right. So like Nancy's beat, like, holy shit. The matches that he has had, I mean, it's been banger after banger. He's, I mean, he's in the middle of an incredible run. Um, but like when you have something like that, that happens because it doesn't happen that often. Uh, you need to cherish that motherfucker. You need to do the opposite of what WWE did with Sami Zayn. <laughs> you need to do the fucking opposite. Uh, not that, I mean, like, you know, it. we did end up getting the jackass match at WrestleMania out of it. So I guess in the, in the long run, it was worth it. But <laughs> was uh, it though? <laughs> yes, it was. Come on. I I don't know if I've ever been more entertained in my life than <laughs> the jackass match at, w- at Mania. So. You know, I guess it was worth it in the end, but like there is something you just during this run with Johnny as the as the top uh, baby face and his run um, in, in the in the feud with Champa, it was just like you're watching something very rare and genuine here with his connection with the fans and him just being this fucking pure baby face uh, in the era of everyone being a smart mark asshole. <laughs> everyone is just on fucking board with this man and we are all we were all a legion behind him like usually most baby faces like there is going to be like some people who are gonna like at least ironically shit on him mm-hmm. everyone fucking loved johnny like there was not a single person on earth who did not who was not behind johnny Gargano. uh all-time classic fucking match and then the thing about it is yeah they set up the champa feud which was like the biggest thing they could have done at the time. Um, and like, <laughs> you're now leading into stuff that is somehow even better than this, you know? This, like, NXT 2018, it was a privilege to fucking watch this shit. It was just like, you're watching, you're like, this is what wrestling is supposed to be like. You know what I mean? Like, this is what wrestling is when it is really, really fucking good. Twig, David, the wrestling is good. So fucking classic i mean it's just the the best it just doesn't get any fucking better it just does not get any fucking better than this so that'll uh wrap up nxt takeover philly and we'll move us into our two and a half marks angelo go for it i'm probably stealing one of yours right off the rip but my half mark is going to cash its own just willing to do the job we have heard the horror stories of the 90s of guys that were old that refused to put other people over because they believed that they were still the most important thing at age 50. Um, now, obviously, Ono is much younger than that, but like having someone that can be a professional about it and realizes, hey, look, this is where the company wants to go. This is this is how I make someone else a better star. This is how I make someone else's life that much better. And I just have to figure out a way to make myself feel unique and important still and like Ono did. Ono did a great job in that kind of the hand roll, the gatekeeper of NXT. I think they described him as just fantastic at bringing guys up, making them look good and then doing the job on pay-per-view. I think that not a lot of people have the ego or lack of ego to do that. And Ono being someone like you have said, who loves wrestling, like I have a lot of respect for people like that because it's not an easy role to do and no one ever really ever wants to do it. But Ono does it gladly, and that's something that you can't have to appreciate. So half a mark to Cassius Ono. My one mark is going to just a takeover era, specifically like the black and gold takeover era. They were always much watched. They were frequently a lot better than whatever pay-per-view WWE was pushing at the time. 
Uh, like it would just blow it out of the water. Like you think of these war games matches, you think of any of these takeovers, they just had so much great wrestling on those shows that you never wanted to miss. That was just two and a half hours felt like an hour and a half because of all the great wrestling that was on there. There was rarely something on a takeover where I'm like, I really don't need to watch this or, ah, this was awful or, Oh, like that's really cringe. This was all great wrestling during this takeover period. So the black and gold takeover era one marked that. My last, my two and a half, my two marks, it's going to small guys with big personalities because like we think of WWE as you have these big godlike physiques, both on the men's and women's side that are just like imposing presences that cut a nice silhouette. And, you know, AEW is kind of the opposite. There's not, they have some of those big guys, but a lot of the guys are smaller, but even when they have small guys, so long as they have like a defined character, you can get over. Like that's kind of like the whole reason with Evan Bourne. Uh, I look at him as a smaller guy who, you know, he's cool. He does some really nice flips, but like, what's the character with him? I don't really know. He's just a guy that does flippy stuff. And hey, that's do I, not disrespect <laughs> Matt Seidel in my presence. A fucking legend. Do I not. look, I, uh, the guy's you. fantastic worker. I'm just kind of like his WWE run left a lot to be desired for a lot of reasons. But you look at some of these smaller guys that just like get, have a character and are fantastic workers. You look at, Gargano, you look at Cole, you look at Alistair's a little bit small because he doesn't have like he can't put on that big muscle. Uh the Undisputed Era, they're not huge guys. Like Bobby Fish is jacked but short. O'Reilly's just like this long-limbed submission guy. Small guys with personality, they're like pit bulls, man. They're just fun to watch. They have a lot of energy. And they always like they're always trying like to Butch. Pop. They're like Butch. They're like Butch. <laughs> look, I love Butch. It's stupid, but it works. Uh, I hate it, but yeah. But like, it, it's just, you feel like they're competent because they're smaller and it always ends up being better than just typical big guy cutting Bland promo. Like, I would rather watch any Johnny Gargano. I'd want either like any Evan Bourne or Matt Seidel than a Von Wagner. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Von Small Wagner, guys with big personality, always winners. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm going to, yeah, you, you did steal one of my marks. I'm going to give my half mark to Chris Hero, Cassius Ono. Just a shout out to a very, a, a good guy who is a, yeah, perfect in this role. Perfect in this role as like, you know, I, I feel like a, a gatekeeper spot is sort of like, a, it can be either a, a death spot for a wrestler or it can be something that's very valuable. Uh, and again, Chris Hero was in a position here, Cassius Ono, where, you know, he's 40 years old. He's been wrestling for a long time. He's past his prime. And he's probably not going to be a superstar champion main eventer. But what you can do with him is he's a guy who's still a great worker, still has a fantastic mind for wrestling and knowledge of wrestling. And you can stick him in there with guys like Velveteen Dream. Or, you know, he had a great program with Matt Riddle when Riddle was first on his way up in NXT and have some good matches with them and figure out ways to make them look good and get them over. That is something he is terrific at and perfect for this role right here. And he is really just, you know, on point, on point in this match. Uh, I'm going to give my one mark to uh, the, and I, I did touch on this a little bit as well, the uh, weapons match on a pay-per-view, having the one, Having one match set aside where you know, hey, there's going to be people hitting hit with chairs. There's going to be people going through tables. There's going to be mass mayhem and confusion. The fans want to see that shit. 
think about answer answer me this angelo name one time someone going through a table didn't get over with the crowd give me a minute now you can't now it would be overkill to do it all i'll let you keep thinking because you're not going to fucking think of an answer uh you're going to i mean you can't overdo it all the time um i don't think because you don't want the effect to get lost but having that one match set aside right here uh where you know like this is the mayhem match people are going to get thrown through tables there's going to be a lot of wacky shit going on and we're going to like you know people who are watching to see that type of stuff this is for you that is that is the spot that's one of the reasons why this Malachi Black Adam Cole match is so good I mean, they put the match graphic up and they say, like, this is this is the next match. People like, oh, it's the Extreme Rules match. People are fucking excited for that because they know they're going to see some shit. I have it's my perfect. answer. What? I imagine that there was a time during the Roman Reigns Baron Corbin feud in 2019 that one of them went through a table and not a single person gave a shit. Um, no, probably not, because they probably still they probably didn't care about anything else, but they probably still popped for whoever it was going through the table. I'm assuming it was Baron Corbin. Probably got speared through the table. I'm making this up, but I bet it happened. And you know what? It probably would have fucking owned. So, uh, yeah, fuck off. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to give my negative two marks to Velveteen Dream's personal life. Because, bro, why can't you just be normal? Why couldn't you just (laughs) be a normal man? Why couldn't you just be a normal motherfucker? Why couldn't you just not? Why could have you just deleted fucking Twitter? Deleted Instagram? Not uh, DM 13 year old boys on Instagram because this motherfucker was a superstar. There is no missing out. They had a fucking like, you know, this was a, this was a fucking, you know, a fastball thrown right down the heart of the plate. Like it is waiting to get teed up 500 fucking feet. And he somehow swung and missed so hard that he ended up like, like somehow what yeah i mean like it's just one of the all-time how the fuck did that how the fuck did that happen it's like i i just it it boggles my fucking mind you know every now and then i mean you know he's he's you know out of wrestling now basically persona non grata i can't imagine anyone booking velveteen dream after this but every now and then you know it's out of sight out of mind right you know there's enough good wrestlers that i can watch and you know you know, I don't really give a shit. But when you go back and watch something like this, you're just like, how, how, how did that happen? How could this have happened? What could have been? It boggles my mind. So that will uh, wrap up our coverage of NXT TakeOver Philly. So we will go to our next order of business, our last order of business. I'm going to hit the randomizer, see what we're going to be watching next week on the show. As I pull this up, Angelo, what are you looking for? Would it be too much to ask for another TakeOver? Uh, I think so. I think that the, uh, the, the chances of that are not, uh, very high. Uh, yeah. And we are, we are not getting takeover. Uh, just confirming that this Mo, is, the Mo is one booing that I in the background. think it is. I think this might be a good one. I just want to confirm that this is the one that I think it is. Uh, that, 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 no, man, that must have been the year before. Right. Uh, we're watching WWE Battleground 2014. Oh, I know what you were hoping for. I thought this was going to be the one with the Rhodes versus Shield match. That was the year before. I fucking love that match. Um, 
But no, it is WWE Battleground 2014. Uh, this is post Shield uh, explosion. This was actually like right after the Shield explosion. Uh, so we're getting a uh, heel uh, Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose showdown at one point. And we have a newly single Roman Reigns in the main event, uh, fatal four way match for the title, world title, John Cena. Kane, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns uh, is the main event. So I'm just the, disappointed because there's a Seth Rollins Dean Ambrose match that says ended by forfeit. Yeah, so I assume that there was some kind of face off or uh, some kind of something going on there. I don't really remember exactly, but this is like the still dealing with the immediate fallout of the Shield explosion, which happened uh, about a month or so before. So that's what we're going into next week: WWE Battleground. 2014. So that'll uh, finish up this episode of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So for my good friend, Angelo and Lisa, my name is David Stammett. Thanks everybody for listening.